Hello, it's Freddy Cruz, and this is a podcast for Houstonians who want to engage more with their hometown and learn about the people driving its growth. This is a podcast that spotlights the stories of the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make the greater Houston area great. Today, I'm talking to James Strickland, a power lifter. Now, how he fell into lifting is worthy of an ESPN documentary itself. His journey involves a desire to get back into shape and getting drafted into the NFL. But he's more than a strong man. James spends his time mentoring students and running a business. And during this episode, we dive into the road to lifting 700 pounds, lessons learned from his athletic career, and how he applies them in business. And of course, we kick off the conversation with a little chat about weight training. If you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy putting it together for you, please consider leaving a rating or review and sharing with your family and friends. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell you she go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. What is the biggest myth surrounding the building of muscle mass? Ooh, that's a good one. I honestly would say the biggest myth would be working out more than you should. I think there's a big misconception that you have to work out every single day, you know, five, six days, seven days a week with no rest. And that is probably the biggest lie I've ever heard because I've not only tried it and failed with good results, but I've seen thousands, literally thousands of other lifters try to do the same thing and they come up short. And now that I've got a coaching business, I take those clients on that, uh, that have thought that way for years. And some of them are well above my age and um, you know, 50, 60 years old. And they're like, man, I've been doing this my whole life and I haven't been able to get results. It's like that maybe you should do something different. So I would definitely say that's the biggest, biggest myth is training overtraining essentially. And you're a world record breaking strong man. You've lifted entire, entire uh, skyscrapers, entire planets on your shoulders. You are Atlas with the big planet on your back. Um, What's something that you feel is an underrated weightlifting technique in all seriousness? Now you're making me think. That's a good one. <laughs> underrated weightlifting technique. I've never been accused of making people think, by the way. <laughs> no? Okay. Well, I guess it, it, to get specific on the question, are we talking about like during your actual performance of the lift? Let's say me, who's probably of average strength, um, what's something that that I could be doing that... I should be doing because it's severely underrated, not not talked about enough. I'm going to have to go outside of the actual lift itself and go back to recovery. I touched on a little bit earlier about overtraining. Recovery is the secret sauce. Uh, I mean, obviously, most people that get into working out, they have a tendency to want to push themselves, which is good. But what I feel is that you have to hit the brakes a little bit more than most people do and that's where you grow and that's where you get your strongest. And yes, you're actually learning a lot and stressing the muscles when you're actually performing the lifts. And most people are neglecting the actual recovery and the time that's outside of the gym when you're eating, you're sleeping. All those times are actually when you're growing. So I've listened to podcasts with business people who are also completely ripped one one name that comes to mind is Alex Hormozzi, and I don't know if it was him or somebody else 
who said something about if you're going to do a high protein diet because you want to build muscle mass and you want to get lean and mean, that you do your workout and ha- and have your high protein, whatever it is, shake meal, uh, a dozen egg whites or whatever, have it as close to the completion of your workout as possible. Have you ever heard of that? Or have you and you don't like it? Well, so here's the thing. There's real world kind of knowledge and then there's the science books or the textbook kind of uh, approach. So the textbook approach is obviously there's like a window after you uh, you work out where your body is is needing those nutrients. And if you don't feed it, you lose all the, the potential that you would have had. What I found is it's actually not 100% true, but some of it is, but the application is like for me being a power lifter, um, when I'm working out and I'm breaking down those muscle t- tissues and fibers, I'm on a high. Like I'm literally got an adrenaline high. I don't really know how I'm feeling until later that night when I'm cooling down. And I'm, you know, I'm already taking a shower. I'm already laying in bed. I'm relaxed with the family. And then I start to realize, ooh, I might have hurt myself today. Like my bicep is is messing with me or my back is is giving me a little bit of trouble. And um, some of that is actually because I didn't feed myself the way I should have either before the workout or directly right after it, because that's when your body is needing those nutrients. And it absolutely is, absolutely is, um, I guess we could say hungry <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe it. I mean, your muscles are torn down, they're depleted. You need to replace what you've just taken out of them. And you and if you're doing like what I'm doing, you're asking a lot. And some of it is inhuman. Uh, but I, I go through those those stresses. And if you're not willing to gas the car up after you've taken it th- a thousand miles, you're not going to be able to go anywhere the next day. So That makes a lot of sense. So I do quite a bit of cardio. I love to run. So it makes sense if you were to compare cardio with what you're doing in weightlifting that when I complete a three or four or five mile run, my body is thirsty for water, for body armor, for whatever, right? Pickle juice to keep from getting the cramps. It only makes sense that you would need to have something to build back those muscles, whether it's the egg whites or power power crunch bar or whatever. I know my thing is actually carbs. Uh, I crave them. And so it's not so much that I, I'm going by the textbook uh, of saying, okay, well, I need to have protein. I need to have extra protein in my diet. It's really what I'm craving. And so I've, I've learned to kind of go against the grain, uh, not just um, metaphorically in my life, but actually in, you know, physically when I'm coming out of training is I don't always follow what the rules say um, that you should be doing. And I think that my application of those are going against those rules speaks volumes considering the accomplishments that I have been able to do. Um, and so what I've done is I've tried to teach people along the way, not necessarily that I've got the right way, but that I've got a way. And if you want to mimic that, you might get the same results. You might not. Uh, I think that's a key is keyword. There is might. Um, but I typically, people ask me all the time what my diet is. And honestly, I don't think about it as much as people would, would think, uh, as, being a power lifter, my focus is on one rep max strength. It's not aesthetics or how I look or bodybuilding, things like that. So I'm not necessarily going to the mirror and saying, oh, I need to build my obliques today. or I need to really work on my abs or my back. 
uh, because I needed to make it bigger and make it better and look better for a judge. Uh, I'm actually going, okay, what is my weakness and how do I make this particular lift better by strengthening that particular weak spot of my body? Um, and so when I'm training, that's what I'm focusing on is taxing that particular muscle group to make it stronger. When I'm not training, I'm thinking, how can I recover this particular muscle group to where when I'm training, I've kind of set some uh, deposits aside into that virtual muscle bank account so that when I'm starting to pull out all the stops in my training, I know that I've taken care of every single thing I could possibly take care of outside of training. And we can get pretty pretty deep onto that side of things um, with my methodology. It's not just training. It's not just recovery. It's life. It's stress. It's, it's all the balance. Let's go back to what made you even want to begin to pursue powerlifting and, and uh, carrying cars and 10 tigers at, at once. <laughs> 11, 11 tigers. 11, sorry. Um, <laughs> I swam very competitively in high school. Uh, went to the military, got out, was still swimming. Uh, I actually gained a bunch of weight after I stopped swimming just because I wasn't uh, burning the calories that I was taking in. I was eating like four and five pizzas at a time and just all you can eat buffets. And when I stopped swimming, I gained 60 pounds in like six months. Uh, and I wasn't happy with what I saw in the mirror. I felt out of shape. Uh, I definitely felt heavier than I'd always been. The biggest factor was uh, I was married probably around five years at this time. And my wife, this, we had the old Polaroid cameras, and um, she had a Polaroid uh, of me walking out of the kitchen with holding like a, a coffee mug. And I was just kind of like walking out of the kitchen shirtless. And um, I saw that picture and I went, is that my stomach? Like, where are my abs? Where's all the, the shapes and everything? And I, that's the first time I realized in six months that I had definitely gained some weight. And I thought, I got to go back to doing something that I can get back into shape with. And um we at the time we were living in, in an apartment complex uh, out here west of Houston and Katy, and um, there was a, a bodybuilder kind of guy that uh, I had seen in and out of their fitness uh, area, and I just went down and talked to him one day and said, "Hey, you know, I, I'm trying to get into the weight room. I think my my methodology would be that I can go and get some muscles on, so that way I could look a little heavier and still look okay, because I really honestly didn't think I could lose the weight. I, I didn't know." how to lose or gain weight really at all. I'd always been just a swimmer. I wasn't uh, well-versed in the fitness aspect of muscle bulking and, and gaining muscle and uh, doing all those kind of things. So I just thought, okay, I'm just kind of a dumb kid. I'm going to go and just put a bunch of muscle on and look better. Uh, so I did just that and literally started working out with this guy and learning you know, bench press mostly. And I was essentially training with all these guys that were becoming world-class athletes in their own right. One of them was uh, asked to uh, try out for the Michael Irvin show. It was a kind of a reality show that was going on back in 2008 or nine, where they were looking for a new Dallas Cowboys uh, recruit. So I was training with this guy and uh, he had a combine that was a tryout for the NFL, which was before the NFL purchased this program. It was like a pay per play or pay per workout type of setup where you could, you could train on your own. And then if you felt that you were good enough to go try out as a, as a free agent, you could show up at some random fields where they would set up these combines 
and you would do these these tests, these agility drills, and you would run the 40 and do the 225 bench press test. And I started really going, okay, do I really want to play NFL football? I'm like 30, you know, 32 years old at the time. And I really wanted to get more into my business. Like I wanted to be more successful in that front. I wanted to be a better dad to my kids. Not that I don't feel like I was being a better dad, but I didn't want to be focused on other things outside of the family as much as I, I was. And so I started calling around literally myself. I would call like these NFL teams, be like, who's the scout, you know, director? Who, who can I talk to about getting this, you know, maybe a tryout? I know Mike Munchek, uh, who was former Houston Oilers offensive tackle, who was at the time head coach for uh, the Tennessee Titans. I called him up personally and said, hey, man, I know you remember me from back in you know my youth. You were actually a big brother in the Big Brothers and Sisters program where I was a little brother. We used to go to Rice Field and play all the time. Hey, I got a favor. I'm playing football now. Here's some of my game film. Can you get me in with the Titans since you're the head coach? And he said, look, I'm going to tell you honestly, you're 30-something years old. He goes, you're past your prime. And statistically speaking, football is a business. It's nothing personal. He goes, you're probably not going to have a shot anywhere because just go on and do something better. If you've got access to a business that can be successful and you can do that, he goes, this is for the young guys and no offense. You're not old. It's just in the NFL eyes, they're not going to take a shot with you. And that's what kind of sealed the deal for me. And I thought, okay, I'm out. I'm playing a a kid's game over here. I'm out. And a little bit butthurt. Um, I was like, okay, I've been putting my all into this for you know a couple of years now, and it's fizzled out, and I've essentially feel like I failed. And uh, I was like, what am I going to do with all this extra strength and size? Because I used the weight room quite a bit to get bigger and stronger, and didn't realize what I was really doing. I was building up my next career uh, with powerlifting because by the time that I had stopped playing football, I was already at a six hundred pound bench press. And I, again, had no idea what that meant. Well, I mean, it's great that you had the wherewithal to, to at least instinctually know that you were headed, that you, that you could do something with what you had built up. Uh, because two years, a two-year commitment to trying to get into the league is a long time. But uh, the fact that you were able to, to see yourself kind of going in that direction and eventually getting into powerlifting was, that's pretty cool. It was a very unique experience. I'll say the least. I felt like, okay, I'd I'd done something. Something was accomplished here, but I was still hungry. And so that kind of set me up for the next decision of my life, which was ultimately going into powerlifting. I think the biggest thing that, that set me apart from that, it was, I would go into the weight room and I was doing these crazy bench presses and I wanted to prove that I could do those bench presses in the future by, by putting them on video. Cause there was always this saying, you know, video or it didn't happen. Oh yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. got to do it for the gram. So, well, it, the gram was like, this was, this was before the gram really took off. This was Facebook days. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do Facebook live. This is when Facebook eventually did this Facebook live thing and you could do these, uh, these live videos from your phone. And I'm like, this is really cool. And uh, I remember the first live I ever did, I was like, all right guys, I'm in the weight room. I'm trying to do bench press. And I couldn't figure out how to do the screen or anything. And, uh, Mr. Tech guy over here can't figure it all out, but this was literally the first day that it was even allowed to have Facebook live. Um, but I would film these, these workouts 
you know, me doing 400, 500 pounds and I would film him so that my son, who was like five years old at the time, would believe me when he was his age now. I could go, hey, back in back in my day, I did this on the bench press. He'd be like, yeah, dad, whatever. You know, all the old guys say that. Well, now I could be like, look, go back to my old YouTube video and check out 2010, 2011 and see me doing 500 pounds on bench press. I knew that I had some special gift and I, I just kept doing it to prove people wrong because they would make me mad and say, well, it's fake. I'm like, why How? didn't come work out with me and feel the weight yourself. And nobody would ever take me up on it. Uh, I ended up doing a video, which is still up there. It's swim hack. That's my online username for uh, Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, and YouTube swim hack, which is a combination of swimmer and, and computer hacker. A lot of people like to know that. Um, and uh, it's Swimhack 605. It was 2012, December 24th. I remember that date because it was kind of a somber day for our trainer. He couldn't be with us because his sister passed away. And he had to go to her funeral. But this was the time when I was like, okay, we're going to go to 24-hour fitness, and we're going to use those hex plates that everybody recognizes. Nobody's going to be able to say it's fake weight there. Of course, I did it there, and people called it fake weight, but less of them did. Uh, and I had somebody actually call me out and say, if you actually pause that, and did competition style, you might get 550 instead of 605. And of course, I responded and I was like, what do you mean competition? Pause. Like, why would I do a harder version of the same rep I just did? And they said, well, that's how powerlifters actually compete. And if you want to be recognized as a person that can do that kind of weight, you need to do it in a powerlifting fashion. And I went, I don't have to do jack. Like, I, I just, do the weight. It's like running down the street. If you ran a four five forty, you don't have to run it on a football field with a scout and a and a time clock to make it official. I mean, to make it official, you do, but to have you know clout, street clout, street cred, or whatever, you don't need to do all those things. So to me, I was like, okay, I'm just doing this for street cred, doing it for my son, you know, whatever. And then something kind of in the back of my mind went, okay, this person just said that I could have a world record if I did this in an actual competition. To me, that was appealing because I was like, I don't have a world record. Who who wouldn't want a world record? And you something? can't fake a I'm world already... record. No. Yeah. So that's what got me hooked into the sport of powerlifting is somebody actually said, if you did this exact weight in a competition with judges looking at you, and I thought, how hard that could that be? You would have the world record for your weight class. And I thought, how cool would that be? Like, maybe that's the next phase of my life is I go get a world record for bench press, which is to me, is just something I'm kind of gifted with. It's not something I had to really work hard at. So I started my powerlifting journey, and it took me two, almost two and a half years to get to 600 pounds in an, in an actual competition. Um, and along the way, I was able to break several world class world records uh, based on my weight and um, age, and some others. There's a lot of breakdowns that powerlifting has to kind of. I say this carefully, but to give everybody a trophy, essentially, and I was riding that wave. I was like, I'm going to get every trophy I possibly can because this is cool. I can go and compete and have fun and lift weights and do what I'm doing for a hobby and get some notoriety out of it. And in the meantime, the world's blowing up with social media, and I'm posting these videos of me doing 600 pounds or 500 pounds for 10 reps uh, on bench at a local fitness connection. And people are seeing this, and they're going – I'm struggling with 200 pounds. And this guy's over here throwing around half a ton for 10 reps. <laughs> what is this guy on? Like, 
who is this guy? This random guy coming out, breaking the world record. And some of these guys have been training for their whole lives, barely scratching the surface of what I was able to just rep out. And I, I was never the type to rub things in people's faces or, or kind of boast about my accomplishments. So I think that attitude made me very approachable from the average person who would be like, Hey man, can I, can I ask you what you do for your bench press reps or how do you recover? How do you eat? What do you do? And so that started the relationship building between my fans fanship, I guess, if you will, and myself. And I just continued to push the limits and I've built up a best bench press of 672 pounds. And this was done in 2018 February 2018, I uh, was 38 years old. So not a young guy, not in the sport of powerlifting or really any sport, uh, but using, I guess, that old guy strength, old man strength. And uh, that is one of the top, it's definitely a top three, or top, yeah, top three of all time uh, in history. Now there's been five, there's been six guys that have gone over 700 pounds, but mind you, most of them that have done that are, are considerably heavier than me uh, as far as they've got a lot more body weight to use as leverage, uh, not down on these guys because a lot of them are my, are my friends, uh, but I am definitely one of, if not the lightest person to really do what I've done uh, and just kind of, I guess, looking like a, a regular guy, if I can even say that. You definitely so. do not look like just a, a regular guy. Uh, I've met you before at a Full Shirt Katie Chamber of Commerce networking event. And um, I, I've got to say that hearing your story, hearing your story, I've, I am making the observation that it's the only time in which I've ever heard of anybody making some sort of negative comment. And then it actually ends up being something that's that that's a, a sort of positive fuel to the fire because typically we see somebody that is posting something hypercritical and it's a, generally a reflection of themselves and the things that and their shortcomings. Uh, this guy, um, and I maybe I shouldn't say negative, but it was a it was a sort of critique rather than a troll. He was like, well, if you want to compete professionally and it, and it lit that spark and that was what it took to like, Hey, wow. Okay. Origin story. I just think that's cool. Well, and I, I what I typically do, cause the way I remember it, I end up combining all the negative comments with some of the maybe not so negative. And so even when I remember certain comments that were made, I go back and I look for them. I don't see them. So some of it might be just how I've kind of put the story in my head, but there was definitely some hate filled comments on my up and up through this whole process where people would see it and it was a form of jealousy and they would call me out for it or they'd say, Oh, well, you're definitely on steroids. There's no way do a drug test and prove it otherwise. Uh, but, but stuff like that. And then they question the drug test. That's what I was leading to. <laughs> is uh, I did a competition in Grand Rapids. One of my, I think it was my second official competition because my first one, I did 474 pounds, broke the Texas state record. And that's what really put me on the map. Now to me, it's like kind of like that, uh, that 225 bench press test of 35. It was obviously 
phenomenal to do that kind of weight. But to me, I was coming up so short. I was like, man, I'm failing over here. I'm like 200 pounds less than what my potential is. And what really got me out of that rut was I would just get real personal with people. I would say, look, if you have questions, just answer, you know, just, just text me or whatever. And I will answer your questions personally offline. I mean, we can do it in public if you want, cause I have nothing to hide. But if you really want to ask me questions, like you want to know what my drug protocol is or, uh, how often I go out and drink, even though I say I don't drink and things like that, they just message me and let's, let's be men about it. And people would take me up on that and be like, look, I just want to know, like, what's your what's your steroid cycle? And I would tell them, look, man, you really shouldn't do that because your heart health, you know, your age, all this stuff, it, it's not going to get you where you think you want to go. And uh, it's my way of getting the rest of uh, the world who's watching me uh, kind of on board with a goal that I have out and hope keep keeping myself accountable. Uh, so that's been the the road that I've been on for the past few years, and um, it's been an interesting one to say the least. And what out of all of this, whether it's your powerlifting journey, uh, the journey to trying to get into the NFL, what out of all of this has taught you the most about also running a business? There have got to be some lessons in there that you've been able to apply. Being an athlete has taught me resilience uh, and being able to go through the tough times and not give up. Uh, because it can get very, I mean, life can throw struggles at you. I mean, that's, that's a whole other story, but um, life can throw some serious struggles at you that trip you up. And whether you get up or not and finish the race is the story in and of itself. And too many people get tripped up in life and don't finish the race because of circumstances that, that are thrown at them. And I've made it my life's mission to live out, not just teach people, but actually live my life showing people that you're going to get tripped up and the way you get back up, the honor that you can, the dignity that you can hold by just standing back up when you get your butt kicked and you're literally embarrassed and bloody and muddy or whatever this, uh, the situation brings to you. But when you finally cross that finish line, even if it's just you and by yourself, you're the only one clapping for yourself. It is what it is. I mean, there's been times when I've been in a workout and I, in fact, I have one of my most viewed videos on YouTube. I think it's popular because I typically, you know, I, I literally clapped for myself uh, after I finished the set. There was nobody there. I was like, okay, this is a hard set. I really don't feel like doing this today, but I, I it's part of my training. I did, um, I think it was the 500 pounds for 10 reps. Um, and that was one of my best bench press sets ever. I was alone in the gym. And nobody was around. Once I finished it, I sat up and I just kind of did a slow clap. And it was basically me saying good job to myself, not trying to show off to anybody else because nobody could see. And um, sometimes you have to just be your biggest, your own biggest cheerleader. Um, but the, the biggest takeaway from athletics is just that resilience is knowing that you train to be stronger and by being stronger, you're more equipped to handle what life will throw at you. It's not that it can or sometimes it does. It literally, without a doubt, will always trip you up and throw something at you. Uh, and we can call those circumstances or we can call it luck or whatever you want to do. But you're going to go through those tough times. And as a business owner, most of us are not athletes. We don't have that segue to go, oh, this is how this relates to this part of my life. I think most business owners don't have 
I don't want to say this negatively, but they don't have an ounce of athleticism in them. They're not lifelong athletes like myself. So when they get a tough patch that they go through, what else are they supposed to do? They don't have any training to keep them going or to let them know that there's light at the other end and they just, they naturally want to give up. So that's my biggest lesson. I love that you said that and I don't take it as anything negative. Although I played football from a very young age, so I'm with you on that. Uh, Be that as it may, I remember being a kid and then four years of peewee football, our team would win nearly every regular season game. And then we went to the Super Bowl against the same team, the Spring Raiders. I played on the Klein Jets. And the Raiders beat the snot out of us four Super Bowls in a row. And you talk about a big heaping serving of humble pie. And I think that's probably one of the best gifts I think the universe could have ever given me and my teammates. And we just didn't know it yet. We cried like babies because we lost. <laughs> you know, uh, you're used to winning and running circles around the other teams. And then here comes this big bad team out of spring and they beat the snot out of you. And you're like, oh, the game that mattered the most. And uh, to your point, it's all about being able to pick yourself up and be the be Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena or woman in the arena. Yep. It's tough to even to talk about that because there's been countless times that I can look back on and each one of them is a sore spot that I can pinpoint and go, okay, that was a rough patch. Yeah. But I made it through. How did I make? And then just to think about that, because when you're going through those times, it's hard to keep hope. And I mean, I see this with all sorts of things in life now. I mean, working with kids, I mean, I'm seeing all sorts of mental health issues that are very prevalent now, uh, substance abuse, addictions, I mean, all sorts of stuff. And I see struggles around me daily. And before I kind of went through my own struggles, I was oblivious to anybody else's struggle. I had no clue that anybody else in life was even going through tough times. I heard about it. You'd hear about it. You see it on the news and things like that. But just looking around now, I can literally go, okay, you're going through something. You need a hug or you need, you need to talk to somebody or, you know, you need something. Uh, and instead of kind of shrugging it off, like I used to, now it's like I embrace these people and I help them out as much as I possibly can. But it's also a, a mirror to my own self and my own struggles and my own times that I've been through. And the beauty of it is the resilience that the human spirit has and I, I see potential in every single person I come across, no matter what they're going through, seeing them punch through the other side, victorious of whatever that struggle was, is worth the journey. And I stress the word journey because a lot of people ask me about the trophy, uh, you know, how sweet is it to have a world record or how sweet is it to have a shot at the NFL or, you know, to have a. Uh, a kid or whatever it is. I mean, just, just things that you, you hold close near and dear to you in life. And ultimately it's not the possession of that prize that's important. And that's easy to say. I'm sure you could say that it's easy to say because you've accomplished that. Yeah. 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 But honestly, because I've walked that walk, I can honestly say that it was the journey. It was the process. It was the struggle that made the story, the story. And that's where the beauty is 
in the whole story. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for saying that. That part right there is because nothing worth having, nothing worth having is going to be easy. I mean, if it was given to you, like in your instance, steroids, if you were to take steroids, how how meaningful would, would a 700-pound lift be? Yeah. But you had the journey of going through the combines and the training and then your origin story of doing the 225 or 35 pounds, whatever it was, and then going to 400 to 500 and then that whole mountain climb. And then you get there on your own accord because you didn't need help. That's what makes it so worth it. And the, the bad, the bad workouts, I'm sure you probably had those too. And then you look back, you're like, you know what? I toughed that out. Yep. Hell yeah. For sure. Well, and the thing is, I am not stupid to to think that it's, there's not going to be any other struggles. I mean, once you go to the top of the mountain, you think that life is kind of, you've accomplished everything and that you can sit back and, and live pretty. Most of the time it's the exact opposite. You get to the highest peak that you think even exists. And then once you get there, now you've got a different perspective. You're able to see the hill or the mountain that's now a, a lot higher than what you were originally able to see. That's kind of like I guess if you were like at the bottom of the Matterhorn, you could possibly, if there was no cloud cover, see the top. But what if there's cloud cover and you can't quite see the the peak? You have no idea if there's something higher than that anyways. So when you get to the top of whatever that mountaintop is, you've been through that struggle and you've been through the the, the hard times and absolutely you wanted to quit, but you didn't. So that naturally kind of fuels you for the rest of your journey. Cause if you figure out by the time you get to the top that you haven't actually reached the top, whatever that looks like, um, obviously talking metaphors now, but you might very well realize I've actually got it in me to take the next journey to the next top, even though I'm probably going to want to quit along the way. And you just keep living your life that way. And by the end of your life, you've climbed six mountains and accomplished 50 different things that maybe you would have never even dreamed of because you didn't reach that first mountaintop. Uh, and I heard this yesterday. I was at a luncheon. Uh, Toolbox Ministries was, is a good luncheon that I go to. I don't know if you've ever been there, but um, the speaker mentioned that uh, like the whole point of quitting before you get somewhere is the sad part because you never realize your full potential. And that's really what drives me every single day is I don't want to fail what my, my potential could be. Uh, that's the scary thing for me. That's even more scary than like dying or it's just dying before you actually reach your full potential because you gave up versus pushing through. I'd rather go out trying my best to get to the next peak, knowing that I'm, I'm living up to my potential. And so now my days are spent, not only living to my full potential, but helping others to do the same thing. So that's really what drives me when I want to, when I want to give up. Y'all check them out. Swim hack on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. He lifts a lot of weights. They're all real. None of it's plastic. Uh, and he's, he's got the, he's got the marketing business. Check him out. Stricklandtechnology.net. James, my man, really appreciate you coming by the podcast. I appreciate the the time and effort that you're putting into it and definitely the spot here. 
Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.